This is Havila's podcast, and I'm Havila Cunnington. I, well, today is going to be an interesting podcast because we're going to talk about conflict. We're going to talk about when you get stuck in a place where, well, it's either a rock and a hard place, or sometimes we use the phrase lose-lose, and we get stuck in relational seasons where we get between a rock and a hard place. And it doesn't mean we've done something wrong, but we definitely need tools to figure out how to get there. So sit back, put your seatbelt on, and we're going to get started as we go into the idea of, well, resolving conflict. So what I want to say is this. First, conflict is normal. I know. Sometimes we think that if we don't have conflict, then we are peaceful people. We are, well, we are easy to be with. We're easy to get along with. And then some of us, we're so used to conflict, we can't even imagine life without some kind of relational breakdown or drama following us. And I want to show you some things that I use almost every day to resolve conflict or maybe even to live through conflict. Because sometimes you can't resolve everything. You can't change somebody. You can't make someone believe something. You can't judge someone's motives or how they actually perceive you. But what you can do is steward yourself. So first thing I want you to think about when it comes to conflict is that you are responsible fully for yourself. I know. You can say things like, well, they made me mad or they shouldn't have said that or, you know, they're, they're the ones. Well, that's great, but what you, can't, what you don't acknowledge, you can't change. And the moment we begin to say, hey, I've played a part in this is the moment we begin to get powerful. Sometimes we think, if I, if I act like I played a part, then I'm going to feel shame. I'm going to feel guilt. I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel wrong. But I, want you to, I just want you to think about it like this. The moment you say, hey, the part that I did play, I'm going to take full responsibility up. Guess who gets powerful? You do. You get powerful. So the first thing I want you to do is look at yourself and say, you know what? You are responsible. Not for everything, not for all of this, but for the part you played, you're responsible. And admit it. Admit that you were wrong. Say, I was responsible. And then secondly, I want you to use empathy. What does that mean? Well, many years ago, I remember when my mom was raising my sister and I, my dad was there, but mom was the girl, you know, the woman in the home. And so she was the one that would talk about conflict. And I remember in seventh grade, our teachers handed out an award to my sister and I. This was a Christian school in LA, and the award was called Christian Character Award. Now, that's great. It wasn't like on my bucket list to win. I wasn't trying to win the Christian Character Award. Somehow the teachers saw something on my sister and I and wanted to acknowledge that. So that was great. The idea of being acknowledged and the idea of being honored was awesome. But what wasn't awesome was that the friends in our class turned against us because of probably a little bit of jealousy, um, a little bit of um, being competitive, whatever it was, but they could not handle it. And they began to be ruthless to my sister and I. And you, if you've ever been to junior high, you'll know that this is not beyond the scope of <laughs> tweens. It's just kind of how they live and they really are motivated by their emotions and their feelings. And you know, oftentimes childhood brings a lot of things, confusion and conflict and jealousy and all kinds of things. And if a parent isn't parenting their kid through those elements, it can actually look 
a lot like being mean or bullying or being critical and not being able to celebrate someone else. So anyway, we ended up going through this really, really hard time. And I remember bringing one of our friends a gift and she took the gift and threw it on the ground in front of us and said, I don't want your gifts. You can't buy my friendship and walked off. And we, I remember getting in the car and just crying. My sister's crying. I'm crying. My mom is trying to talk to us. And I'll never forget my mom saying, you know, she said, girls, you have to understand that these girls aren't just reacting to you. They're probably reacting to other things in their life. They probably have pain in their own world. And this is why they can't celebrate or befriend you. And that was something my mom was so good at. And it was critical to my development was being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes for a minute and think about what it must be like for them. Now, sometimes when we are asked to do that, we're like, well, gosh, I don't know what it'd feel like to be a jerk. Let me think about it. <laughs> but what I really want you to do is think about, I want you to think for a minute. You know, one thing when I talk to individuals about conflict, the first thing I'll ask is, well, how did they grow up? What, what birth order were they in? Have they ever had, you know, an issue with this or with that? And I try to get a bigger picture of their life because one, usually one offense or one slander or one moment is usually not the main source of it. Usually there's a storyline that goes around this. Are they an only child and they're not used to celebrating? Are they a younger sibling and they tend to feel ignored and maybe bypassed? Um, are they, have they never really had discipline and to realize like, hey, world, the world doesn't revolve around you. So I don't know what that is, but it's very critical to ourselves and to our families to begin to get our kids and even ourselves to take a minute and to assess what would it be like to be them. It doesn't mean you're validating what they did. It doesn't mean that you're saying, I agree, but you're saying, you know what? I could see how that could lead to that. And that's going to require you pulling back, not taking it so personal, not wanting to throw darts at them, but say, okay, wait, wait, why would a mom treat me like that? Why would a friend treat my kid like that? Why would my mother-in-law say that? And instead of just saying, well, they're just a jerk and I can't believe they do that, I'll say, you know what? They were raised like this or I mean, they never had this or isn't it sad that a mom would allow that in her home um, just because she wants her kids to be included? And begin to use that empathy. Another thing I'll do that is in my own marriage. Sometimes Ben and I will have a conflict and I'll say something and he'll say something and, and I'll, I'll want to go, well, why would you say that? Why would you talk to me like that? Or why wouldn't you think this? And then I have to think, wait, 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 big picture thinking. What was our week like? When did he eat last? When did he, get, when did he sleep last? When have we been intimate last? I mean, we start, I start to look at a whole picture and say, are we feeling disconnected? Are we exhausted? Have we, been at, have we not forgiven each other for something? And begin to kind of have a holistic perspective of the other person's life. And then thirdly, I want you to own up with what you have. And I want you to ask yourself, should I have a conversation about this? Now, I want to say not everything requires a conversation. I think I've met certain people that say, listen, I got to talk to you. I got to get this off my, my chest. Well, you know, who's that about? You. Well, the Bible says we need to go and confront somebody. Oh, wait a minute. Are you confronting them because you really 
are confused about something or you want to bring it to light? Or is it really about watching their face as you tell them everything that they did wrong? Remember one time um, being in a church and somebody said to me, hey, I want to ask your forgiveness. I have been angry with you for a year. Now, I had no idea they were angry. We had talked to each other. We had been around each other. And I had no idea. Now, I understand she wanted to get off her chest, but at the end of the day, who was that for? That was for her, and she could have done that soul work on her own to be forgiven. If she hadn't treated me rudely, then that was up to her, but to bring me into a storyline that I had nothing, knew nothing about really said a lot about her and her need to tell me. Same with you. Are there things that don't need to be talked about that you need to resolve and you keep linking it to that person? Well, once we have a conversation and once they talk about this and once I get to that, then we'll feel better about it. No, no, no. What can you do? And here's the question. What can you do without them participating? Who can you forgive without being asked for forgiveness? Who can you love without needing them to love you back. And really begin to ask yourself, how can I resolve this in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort? What can I do? Now, some of those things, I'm going to say 75% of conflict can actually be resolved without anyone talking about it. And I don't mean ignoring it and being angry and huffing and puffing around the house. I'm talking about forgiving, releasing, loving, caring, being empathetic on your end. But then there's about 25% of the relationships that we have to talk about things. Now, I would even go so far as to say some conflicts aren't going to be resolved until the other person brings it up. It's not negative. Sometimes you just have to realize I'm going to have to pull back a little bit and let them see that I'm not going to control them. But in order to be around me, I have standards and how people treat each other and it's not respectful. So I'll back away. And if they want to know why, then I can tell them why. But me going and telling them I'm going to back away because you're rude and da da. guess what? They're probably not going to care. But if they come back and say, you know, I kind of noticed you haven't been around or I noticed that we really haven't connected what's going on or, hey, are you mad at me? That gives you a really good door to express yourself. So this is what's really important. The reason you do the 75% of work in your own heart is in the 25% when they come back, you don't explode in anger. You don't freeze in anxiety. You don't shut down because of frustration, but you've, you've actually rehearsed articulating what you really think and what you really feel and how you can resolve it. So what you want to do is this, as you back away from the person in conflict, and some people you can't, like my spouse, Ben, I'm not going to back away. I want to be in relationship with him forever. I love him. So guess what? I'm coming in, right? But there's other people that you're just not going to be that close with. And so I want you to, to, to get the narrative right. Okay, what is it? I feel hurt. I feel scared. I feel um, mad about, and the reason I'm mad is because, and begin to ask yourself, how do I feel, and what's the reason I feel it, and where's a very clear instance where that's valid? So someone will say, well, when did I do that? And you, in your, in your anxiety or in your, you know, the, the, all the stuff that's happening in your anger, you can forget and go, I don't have anything. It's just, you just do it all the time. Well, guess what? If we can't actually pinpoint something, it's not going to help the other person. So it's very important to even give the narrative. When you walked in the house and you said, what have you been doing all day? It hurt my feelings because it makes me, it made me feel that maybe you didn't trust that I was doing my best. And 
And it, what would help me is, is saying something like, hey, is there anything that you did today that you'd like to tell me about? And that would help me. See how you give them verbiage instead of saying, you're so mean, you just come in and wonder what I'm doing, you never think I'm doing anything right, and then all of a sudden, they're on the defense. So you really wanna keep them at a place of listening. And then also, I want you on the fourth, fourth area, is you're going to have to practice saying this phrase. I'm so sorry, will you please forgive me? Not, I'm so sorry, but, I'm so sorry, but if you had, no, 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 I'm so sorry, will you please forgive me? And I have found more times than not, when you look at someone in the eyes and they have all this storyline and all this chaos and anger and fear and frustration, when you look at them in the eyes and you own it and you say, I am so sorry, will you please forgive me? Very rarely does somebody not go take a deep breath and go, yeah, I forgive you. Or they might say, well, of course I forgive you, but da, 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 da. But I want you to know it begins to diffuse the conflict rather than escalating the conflict. And my boys, we try to work on this with them and they'll say, um, hey, will you please forgive me? I'll say, Hudson, ask Judah, will you please forgive me? And he'll say, Judah, will you please forgive me? And Judah will say, for what? <laughs> Which is classic, right? Like, I know you're asking forgiveness. But I want to hear you articulate. So sometimes we'll say, okay, okay, Judah, come on, or Hudson or Grayson. But sometimes I'll say, you know what? This is good for you to articulate what you did. And so they have to say, I'm so sorry for hitting you. Next time I will use my words. And so we usually ask them to say, the next time I will what? And they fight it. It's not like they're perfect kids. They're like, the next time I will. Thank you so much. No, no, it's very real, but just... A, a, an ability to give them verbiage. Because I think about this, they're gonna have four wives in the future. And if I don't teach them how to ask forgiveness, those girls are gonna look at me and say, excuse me, mom-in-law, what did you do? Why did you do this? They may not say it to me, but they're gonna think it. Um, trust me, I think all of us women know we are reaping our mother-in-laws or our, you know, uh, the, our families, our uh, in-laws, how they raise their kids. We're reaping that, whether that's good or bad. So again, being able to say, forget, ask forgiveness. And then lastly, I want you to let it go. I know it's hard, right? Sometimes we've created storylines and our lives seem kind of boring outside of conflict. So I want you to say, you know what? I cannot afford to live with this in my life, this conflict. I need to resolve it. And one of the ways that we let it go is this. Uh, we say this kind of phrase, tit for tat. And so for some of you, maybe Americans, you understand this, internationals, I'm not sure you use this phrase, but it's like going back and forth. Well, you did this. Well, you did this. Well, you said this. Well, you said this. Guess what? You are never going to win. Tit for tat is a losing battle. That's the Bible says, keep no records of wrongs. And what that means is the moment you start logging every offense and every wrong thing, guess what? You are in a lose-lose because you are not there to resolve it. You're there to win. And when you are a right fighter, right? When you're fighting to be right, guess what? You might leave right, but you're also gonna leave the relationship. And so Ben and I, we will look at each other and say, we are not going to go tit for tat. So the moment we start to do that, we go, nope, uh-uh, we're not doing this. If you wanna do that, then uh, you win. And we'll say it to each other, but my husband will say it to me and I'll say, you win, because we are not doing that. We're not going to allow that because that's the spirit of strife where it's just records of wrong and he said, he said she said, and they believe and you did and, and it just gets messy. So I want you to resolve that when the person comes with a list of things, I want you to say, you know what? I received that. But honestly, more importantly, 
the relationship we have together is invaluable to me and I want to make it right. So what can I do? And really fight for that moment of clarity instead of getting it all out because you'll never be able to get it all out because people have different storylines and different experiences and how they observed it and how they experienced it is just so different. You're, you are not going to meet eye to eye on that, but what you can meet eye to eye on is what you really want. And that might be my last thought actually is this. Come up with the plan. Do you want this friendship? Do you want this relationship? Do you want to nurture this, this you know, community? If so, then you need to keep that in front of you. Not being right, not feeling loved, not hoping that they see how great you are, but you need to have one goal, and that is, I want to stay in relationship with you. And our relationship is more important than me being right. And that's the conclusion you're going to need to live with. So I hope that this helps you. Again, jump in, think about your conflicts, You know, ask the Lord to help you resolve some of these things, and then begin to fight for the things that He's asking to fight for and let go of the things He's asking to let go. And be easy, quick to forgive, quick to listen, the Bible says, slow to speak, slow to anger, and really allow the Holy Spirit to help you in these areas of conflict. Well, I'm so glad I had a few minutes of your time today. Of course, I'm always honored when you give me a few minutes. Um, Don't forget to leave me a review on this podcast and a few stars so other people can find it. And don't forget to say hi on the socials. I'm always looking looking for you. And anytime you tag me, I see it. So I love you guys. Have a great day. And I'll catch you next time.